The Courage to Lead, episode 144. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Emil Studham. Emil is a co-founder and North American director at Performance by Design or PBD. Experienced in kinesiology, teaching, neuro-linguistic programming, and behavioral sciences. Emil also spent 12 years as a semi-professional Aussie rules footballer. Emil began his corporate journey in Canada with his Toronto-based company, Aussie X, as seen on Dragon's Den Season 6, where he implemented an early version of the Performance by Design system under the guidance and mentorship of Gerard Murphy, now a co-founder with him at PBD. The impact it had on his team was enormous, empowering the business to grow more than 30% year over year, growing its offering and locations to expand and become X Movement Inc., Uh, With almost 10 years working in the high-performance culture space, Emil has worked with a wide range of organizations, from household names like Boston Pizza and Hydro One, tech startups, key players in real estate and fitness industries. One of the things he loves most about his role is the diversity of his clients. And with this and PBD's work in the professional sports world, he brings a unique competitive advantage to everyone he works with. Emil's passion toward building healthy and connected cultures is infectious. This matched with his personal experience and thirst for knowledge Guarantees that his presence in the room or in any presentation always brings results with simple and practical tools that can be applied for an immediate and sustainable impact. Emil, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Mouthful, man. Really appreciate having coming on the show and, um, yeah, excited to be here, mate. Absolutely. No, it's good to have you. So uh, Aussie football, Aussie way rules. different. Aussie <laughs> rules football. It's way different from NFL. You guys don't wear pads. Jeez. You don't wear helmets. No, you're just out there knocking each other around. <laughs> but it definitely strive. looks that way. It, it looks does. a lot like. I and mean, there's one of the things about Aussie rules is the that there's no rules. Now, it's one thing we want to know. It's not rugby, so we don't throw the ball. It's a it's a hybrid game of, you know, almost the combination of basketball, rugby in parts. It's very much connected also to Gaelic football. So it also yeah. moves a bit like soccer. The ball movement can move a bit like soccer at times. But there's no regulations around where you pass and run at any given time. So the head doesn't move one way than the other like you might watch an NFL game. It kind of moves all over the shop, which for the North American viewer when they come to Australia, is one of my favourite things to do is take me mates to the MCG and watch a live game. And what is going on? So Aussie rules football was a passion as a kid growing up. Never never was good enough to go anything further than make a few bucks on the side while I was a school teacher, but a wonderful sport. And it's actually where we do a lot of our sports work back home in Australia. Yeah. Very cool. And no injuries, though. You, you survived. <laughs> well, awesome. I've actually just got to go to the dentist tomorrow and I've, I've got a bunch of fake teeth and I've had a hip replacement and a couple of knee operations, but... It's a, the joy of the game far exceeds a few bumps and bruises, that's for sure. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm, I'm definitely going to get out and watch one of the games if, if I can catch one. That would be great. All right. I want to come back and talk about all of that, talk about uh, yeah. your company, PBD. But before we get started, 
I've got some questions that I ask yeah. every one of my guests. These are questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio. Ah, uh, very cool. James yeah. Lipton asked these questions of his Hollywood guests um, from uh, TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, Absolutely. they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, sir, question number one, what is your favorite word? Intentional. What is your least favorite word? Should. Um, what turns you on? Connecting people. And what turns you off? <laughs> the opposite. Environments that don't allow people to connect effectively. It annoys the Jesus out of me. There you go. Question five. What sound or noise do you love? What sound? <laughs> I love me, me son Rio's voice, especially in the morning. When they first wake up and they have that little squeaky yeah. kind of, yeah. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. I love it. I love it. What sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> oh, some of the kids' shows, the high pitch, like Peppa Pig. Thank God he doesn't, I know of it, but Rio's been, Rio's been a funny kid. He's watched feature film movies since he was born. So, Luckily, I've escaped a lot of that kid stuff, but that high pitch of kids, yeah, not good yeah, for me. <laughs> absolutely. All right, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? I'm an Aussie, so we swear a lot. We, you know, I swear a lot personally. My father's very well known for his swearing. Um, so I've actually created one that I can kind of say with it getting away, and it's far canal. And it, I, I type it as F-A-R, then gap C-A-N-A-L. So it's far canal, but I say it like in the draw and I kind of get away with it. <laughs> Good job. Excellent. All right. Question eight. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I mean, I attempted Aussie rules football, but was nowhere near it. Um, the other thing that I would like to attempt is writing and producing sitcoms. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Mm. Um, what profession would you not like to do? <laughs> Anything building. <laughs> My dad's a builder and I just didn't enjoy it, wasn't good at it. Um, engineering and, and all that, that space of the... I guess I'm I'm in the dynamic space of people because that's what I love and I'd, I'd like to think I'm pretty good at it. Um, but the mechanics of things, I, you know, Excel spreadsheets look like Russian backwards to me, you know. <laughs> All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, I mean, uh, I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> Very cool. Great question. All right. Love it. No, good stuff. All right. We're going to come back, talk about how you got your start in Australia, how you got to Toronto, yep. uh, the companies that you started, and then PBD, and where yeah. you're going with that. All right. And at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. Yeah, great. Cool. Right. Perfect. Love it. Very good. All right, listeners, we'll be back right after this, so stick with us. 
Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Emil Stedham. Emil, thanks again for agreeing to be on the show. Yeah. So tell me about growing up in Australia. Grew up in a town called Bonfaggy, tiny southeast corner of the mainland about as south as you can get um and then south of that is tasmania and then south of that is antarctica so misconception of australia it's always hot and looks like crocodile dundee outback that's incorrect monthaggy's believe it's aboriginal for town of wind and rain Mm. so um summers were great and we lived on the coast we had a beach house and my grandfather my normal my italian Heritage uh, came over in the war and we grew up in a tiny town. You know, my dad's one of 10 on that side and long sort of Welsh descent. And my mother's Italian. You had this weird town of there was a big coal mine. So in the First World War, a lot of Italians fled and came to our little town on the other side of the world. Um, growing up was walking two to three kilometres to go to football training and probably getting picked up in the back of someone's truck that was either a cousin or a good mate. Just family, friends, sport, um, cold winters, amazing summers, and a lot of physical activity, uh, building tree huts, you know, uh, getting called in for dinner at dark only um, and doing it all again. It was a great childhood, um, big sport town, which was fantastic for an active fellow like myself mm-hmm. and every step of the way you felt it was just one huge community lots of rivalry in our sports at times but it's still going after the game and you know have a beer and have a chat and, and share your life with essentially another five to seven thousand people which was wonderful wow and so did you have in mind the goal of being a famous Aussie rules football player look uh, yeah I think a lot of you know, fellas like myself have the goal, whether you're good enough or not is the next thing. Um, I was lucky enough to play a bit of the sort of junior level that was on that trajectory, but um, particularly at the ages 18, um, I wasn't physically strong and, and, and good enough. I played a good level of sort of semi-pro, if you will, but my life soon moved into kinesiology. I had a real big passion for physical education, so I went down that path. I was thinking about going to physio, but then... Um, you know, I was pretty inspired by my physical education teachers in my high school. My mother was an integration aide, so she worked with the handicapped children of the school. Mm. So I got very immersed in the education space and it was a wonderful experience. So I went down that path, um, which was great because it actually sort of, I think, teaching and education puts you in pretty good stead for entrepreneurship, actually. Sure. Um And that's actually what led me to build my own business was this love and joy for physical education and helping kids go from no, I can't to yes, I can. And the connection you make and the the connection you help them make with themselves first and then each other. Um, But all those things combined in a school, it it had a ceiling. 
So my first move into the entrepreneur world was actually building a company teaching kids how to play Australian rules football here in Canada. Okay. So I was lucky enough to take my passions and then move it into, you know, the, the initial phases of building a business, right? Very cool. So that's what brought you to Toronto? Yeah, first it was student exchange. I went to the University of Western Ontario, um, did my kinesiology six months, met some great people. A bunch of them came over to visit me and I came back over. Um, 2003 was the first time I, I grabbed a bunch of Aussie rules gear from the Australian Football League. I shipped it over. It was um, it was redundant because the sponsorship had changed. So I, I shipped over these 2,000 balls and backpacks and and literally, on, I remember day one with this big Bauer hockey bag filled with Aussie rules footballs, went to the budget rent-a-car, you know, asked to rent a car, and the, the lady behind the desk said, oh, Mr. Studham, you're only 23. You had to be 25 to rent a car in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So for the next nine months, a couple of mates and myself literally caught public transport to schools, logged on the front doorstep, you know, um, they pay us often in cash because the kids would bring, you know, money and they'd say, well, do you want to put it into a check? And we'd go, nah, just, you know, we'd walk out of the school with a plastic bag filled with coins and cash and we just lived off that for, you know, a few years, but it was wonderful and we saw 11,000 kids in about eight months catching public transport with a bow hockey bag full of footies. But I tell you what, you learn, you know, you learn how to make a buck doing that um, pretty quick. You learn the grind of it all. I went back home for the next three years, school taught, did some other stuff, but then never really lost this passion for this sort of thing that we sort of sparked up in 2003. So in 2008, I came back. I was close to 30. I could rent a car (laughs) Um, and integrated Aussie rules football, netball and cricket into our programming and came back to Toronto, leveraged my previous network and, and built a company called Aussie X, which was nice. short for the Aussie experience. Um, nice. And we really brought a lot of the Australian culture and the vernacular and the, the sayings and crikey and good on you, mate, and g'day and all that. <laughs> and that seemed to encapsulate the kids' minds. But then that, that led to a new level of physical activity, which was really the, the reason behind it and, and a focus on the non-sporty the shy, the introverted, mm-hmm. the Sally's and Steve's, we called them. Um, we wanted them to get their shoulders back, their hair out of their face and enjoy that, the joy of moving their body irrespective of their ability at sport. Um, and we did a bloody good job of it and I loved every second of it. Nice. And Dragon's Den, that's like our shark tank here, Absolutely, right? yeah. Very cool. How so was three that Three years into that, that was a real pivotal point in my life um, and the business as well. Um, we got a late call up. We just threw caution of the wind. We had, I think, Sunday night, 6.30 p.m. We're on air 6 a.m. the following Wednesday. Wow. A lot of people have a year or nine months and prepare. We were just like, nah, let's do it. <laughs> so we jumped into it. It was a wicked experience, so much fun. One of the, it's one of the, I think, the top watched episodes. It was a lot of fun. We got them active. We, our goal straight away there, Harlan, was to get, into that shed, that big shed it was, and get the dragons active and connecting them back to when they were a kid. And we did that beautifully. Um, shared a couple of really good stories about our work and we won them over and we got a deal with um, Jim Treliving from Boston Pizza. We shook his hand. 
didn't take the deal after the show, but from a from a uh, marketing branding perspective, yeah. absolutely fantastic for our organisation at the time. Nice. And then uh, you said it, it expanded into X movement. Yeah. Yeah. What what actually happened? I've got a footy here, actually. What we and this actually dovetailed into the work I do now at Performance by Design with Jared Murphy, Paul Ruse, and Big Wazza Everett. Um, this is an Aussie Rules footy. It's not pumped up, but it's a footy, right? Okay. Aussie Rules football, nicknamed footy. Even that was, they love the kids, love that. But around 2, 10, um, 11, all of my leadership gaps just came to the foreground. Primarily an inability to share power and decision-making. Um, and secondly, an inability to have an honest conversation, particularly when things weren't working. I was the only sort of phys ed teacher in the business. Uh, a lot of the, the team were off-the-boat Aussies that were maybe 23 to 26, looking for a change in life, just looking for an adventure, certainly not thinking much about work, more drinking and partying than work. Um, and so whenever something went wrong, I thought my job was to fix it. And I just kept on taking these metaphorical you know, a sack of spuds, potatoes, yeah, yeah. and putting them on my shoulder. And just bit by bit, it just wore me down um, to the point where I was sort of sleeping on the office floor and just lost, you know. Yeah. Luckily, I knew of Jared Murphy's work in the space of sharing power <laughs> and honest conversations in the professional sports world in Australia. Okay. Serendipitously got connected to Jez, as we know him, Flew him over from England at the time. He came into our office November the 1st, 2011, eight days before our Dragon's Den episode went to air mm. and took us through a process which we, we which ultimately become the performance by design system, which is what we do today. Yes. Helped us get clear on who we were and what we stood for by the way of our values and behaviours. Nice. Understand our unique individual differences from a communication perspective and then took us through a process where we gave and received feedback to each other in the open. No hiding behind anonymous 360s. Nice. Just a very safe place to say, hey, we love you for this, Emil, but we think you can improve on this, and here's what we suggest. It completely transformed my view on leadership and culture. Sure. It created a safe space for that real talk to occur, and I just did everything that Jez told me to do. I ran reviews. I asked more questions, um, and the business kept growing, and I did less. It was just bloody magnificent. But creating that safe space, yeah. that, number one, that takes courage yeah. to be that open, to allow people yeah. to say exactly what's on their mind and for them to feel comfortable enough to be able to say it without any retribution. Yeah. Wow. What's important there is the actual steps to get that. By no means do we walk in day one with any given team and just start ripping out feedback. Yeah. One of the issues with this concept of real talk that we specialise in is that it, the misconception is that it's just feedbacks, either the negative or real talk is just the tough conversations. Now, coming from sport and moving into corporate, we genuinely appreciate the importance of team and telling your mate, hey, keep doing that. And building those dollars into that metaphorical trust bank. Okay. And we coined the term catch the good. Catch your mates yeah. doing it right. And that's a behavior piece, not necessarily a result. 
that's a huge behavior. Even with animal training, you you reward the behavior you want to see. Right? You get what you reward. Yeah. So we already had that part in our Aussie X culture. We we were too matey. So you get a lot of balance in this work, right? They're either we're too close friendship-wise, so we avoid the honest conversation, or we're not compassionate, caring, supportive enough, and it's just a combative internal fight. It's bloody hard enough out there competing against you. The people in the same industry, why do we fight with our mates internally, right? So getting clear on the behaviours we wanted to reward and challenge was critical. And so that's where this comes into play. And I don't know if we go on video here, but we landed on the value statement of extraordinary impacts. How can we have an extraordinary impact on everyone we connect with? Kids, parents, teachers, the office ladies, the, the janitors, everyone in the school, from the colours, the choice of our colours to everything. And then our behaviours were wrapped around our Aussie lingo. Having a go, good on you, mate, and you little ripper. And then what do you reckon was the fourth one we created that didn't go on to this one. And everything, every piece of then feedback was looped into the higher context of we want to have an extraordinary impact, and that's what we're aspiring to do, live and be. And to do that, we have to have a go. We have to try new things, okay? Before we make a judgment, have a go at it. Good on you, mate, means the energy you give off is the energy you get back. So catch the good. Nice. And you little ripper is celebrate even the smallest of things, but especially celebrate having a go. So when we have a go and it doesn't work, just go, oh, that didn't work. Yeah. Let's have another go. So yeah. it just became this, just became a life of its own. And then what do you reckon was a critical one? Because that was um, our version of ask questions. And so the more we lived this code, the less I did, the bigger the company grew and the more everyone loved the time together. Yeah. And within three years in a feedback session, the team came, I actually went to one of my team members at the time, Connor, who's still a good mate of mine, was in my wedding, um, and said, look, I don't know what I'm left to do, mate. I feel sorry. Like, what what, what am I supposed to do? And he said, dragging you. No, this is exactly what you said you wanted to build an environment where everyone feels like they own the company. And so in a feedback session, the team said, we think you should leave the kids' company and work with your corporate mates and build another line of business, which which we didn't. It happened very organically. And so I've been in that space pretty much since November 1st, 2011, first as a participant, and now I have the joy of taking people through this process and, you know, we have a tech platform. we're, We're sharper with everything we do and, we bring a lot of our learnings from professional sport and the practical tools we apply with our teams. We do so with our corporate teams that we work with. Very nice. Yeah, I'm looking at your, your LinkedIn profile. Um, don't leave culture to chance. Now, yeah. I working with my clients. I talk to them a lot about building the culture and why that is so incredibly important. Can yeah. you elaborate a little bit on it? What is culture exactly and why yeah. is it so important? I'll start with probably the misconception that it's parties, perks, and ping pong, right? And when it's really about behaviour from our perspective, because it's got to be about culture drives performance. Now, what drives results are the behaviours that we reward and challenge. So really our definition of culture is the behaviours we accept and reward of each other. 
And so we want to take the chance out of culture, which is taking the chance out of the behaviours that we exude and display day to day. Because if we take the chance out of that, we'll get the right people on our bus, the wrong people off it. But even better is we'll optimise our teamwork and our performance and we'll get the most out of each other. So to bring those team behaviours to life, our work specialises in creating a safe environment and taking teams to exercise where they can practise real talk aligned to those team behaviours. So then we're rewarding and catching the right and we're challenging the not so good. And then if people don't want to be in our system anymore inside of our team, then by virtue of the systematic and intentional <laughs> meeting cadence and the review system we integrate, we'll get the wrong people off our bus at the right time because the evolution of your life, like any sports person or in any team, you might not be the best person anymore for that position. Right. And I don't know about you, mate, and your experience, but I am yet to see anyone turn up to work and want to do a crappy job. No. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. But we leave a lot of our teams that we work with when we go through the process, we uncover that they're the misconception that they care for the person, so we're going to keep them and allow them to underperform or behave badly. We challenge that and go, well, you don't care enough to have the chat and or coach them out or coach them up. Yeah, because it's not fair to have somebody in a position that they're not good at the work, they don't like the work. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to the other employees who have to pick up the slack. You want the right person in the right seat doing the right thing at the right time. 100%. Wow. 100%. Easier said than done. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Really? Uh, that, yeah. you know, but that's why you have, you know, yeah. performance by design. I was working with a company once where they were trying to go through a, a cultural change. The culture had started slipping. It wasn't exactly what they wanted to do. And I was working with the HR department and they were saying, we need to restructure and, and rebuild this culture. And I said, great. I hope you're in for the long haul because it's going to take a little bit of time. I said, isn't there an easier way to do this? And I said, yes, <laughs> yes, there is fire everybody <laughs> start again, and then just hire those. And they go, well, that's not possible. Okay. Well yeah. then this is how yeah. you're going to have to do it. You know, yeah. because it's just the culture is the amalgamation of all the people, all the employees that are there, their work habits, their thoughts, their beliefs, right. Yeah. Their ethics, all of that stuff goes in to create the culture. And if you have a, a type a culture and you bring in a type B person, they're not going to last or they're going to step up their game. Yeah. I love it. That's very, very true. And like I said, it's, I sometimes speak quite matter-of-factly about this and it's really easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But yeah. I think to go back all the way to the parties, perks and ping-pong definition, yeah. what we're seeing, and let's be honest, there's, you know, there's, the great, there's the great resignation. We're in a talent war. We often unpack the teams we work with that are spending and wasting money on things that the that their that their team do not genuinely care about. Right. So then they're up in arms going, well I just gave you more money and I gave you more hotter. Better coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I said get the coffee out of there. You, look, don't get me wrong. You want to party, you want to celebrate. Sure. You want love the perks, absolutely. And we love the ping pong table if you're probably good at it. But don't hang your hat on that. It's a it's a part of it if need be, but we have found that what great what what people really learn yearn for 
is that belonging. Mm -hmm. They're in the trenches together and they want to do great work with great people, right? And you don't have to throw more money. You just have to create the environment for that teamwork to occur. And there's a very distinct system and process to that, but it's very misunderstood. Absolutely. Yeah. But like you said, it's behaviors. What are the behaviors yeah. that you want to see? Set the expectations, hold people to those expectations yeah. And, yeah. and drive it because people want structure. Yeah, you I, know, I worked with a, a youth group years ago and uh, I, I tell the story of Rosewall. We put all the kids in a, a big you know, gymnasium type room, had all these different balls in the center. We had footballs, basketballs, beach balls, everything just piled yeah. up. We told them, okay, get ready to play, go. And they stood there and looked at us. Like, what do you mean? Come on, play, play, play. They pick up a ball with minus five points. They throw the ball plus 10, you know, and just random, right? And finally, all the kids just stopped and said, this is stupid. And we said, well, what's stupid about it? And they said, we don't know what the rules are. And if we don't know the rules, we don't know how to play and we can't have fun. It's like, all right, sit down. You're ready to listen. And so we I talked to them it. about why there's structure, why there's structure in your home, yeah. in school. You have to have those guidelines to know what's expected and what Love you can it. expect in return. Love it. Yeah. Did the same thing when I was a phys ed teacher. And then and then built one rule at a time to, build, to teach them how to play netball, which is quite, quite uh, netball is a sport like basketball, but you can't run with the ball and you can't run into certain sections. Hmm. So from a rules perspective, if you give all the rules, everyone's completely confused. Right. So I flipped it to your point and just said, right, reds, blues, one minute on the clock, through the ball, go, and then right, okay. Well, let's now make sure we stay inside the big white line around there. Let's keep going. And, you know, and then bit by bit integrated the sort of nine core rules, but it took a few sessions. But honestly, helping teams transform their cultures is a bit the same. <clears throat> yeah. Let's just do a little bit of work on the kitchen because that's where we need the most work. Kick the bedrooms in, all right? Um, but it's definitely something that does not go away. It's not a project or a campaign, and that's another common mistake we see. Right. Companies will spend three, six, nine months doing these corporate values exercises and select a few select people and then go, oh, God, thank God that's over. Right. Yeah, it's not an event. No, it's not an it event. It's not a campaign. Ongoing. So, yeah. It has, yeah, it has to be ongoing. But if you do get your culture moving in the right direction and you have that culture to that really represents the type of company you want. It not only helps bring in the talent, it helps get rid of some of the dead weight that you have. hundred percent, hundred percent. That's almost the most critical thing in my opinion, and probably, you know, my team's opinion around that first three to four months as you start to go on that journey is identifying who are your sort of your energizers that are the all ins mm -hmm. and to the law of diffusion, get them on board, focus on magnifying them and don't give attention to the naysayers. Yeah. Give it to the energizers, put some systems in place and people will then as Rusey, one of our business partners, famously says, people will act their way into your system or they'll act their way out. Yeah, and so now the conversation with the ones who want, to, who want to act out actually is quite like, mate, can't you, how are you, mate? You know, are you happy? No, I'm not. 
what can I do to help you move on, mate? Yeah. Well, you know what? Hurt. Like it becomes, and almost, and it becomes that way. Like it's fantastic. It's really a lot of anxiety around letting people go, and I get it. And I've just been sure. there. I was terrible at it, to be quite frank. Um, but now to help teams through it, it's just a, and then people come back around and actually form better friendships. Yeah. Um, based on that, and they say, look, it hurt at the time, but best thing you could have ever done for me. Thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. They know when they don't belong in there. Yeah. They know when they're in the wrong seat, right? Yeah. And uh, to hold them there is, yeah, it's not fair to anybody. No. Um, so you work with um, executives now to help them building their cultures in their team. What are you, yeah. what are you seeing? What are, they, what are they doing wrong or what are they missing? Is it just the misconception of what a culture is or not understanding how important it is? First would be the misconception of what it is and how, and how to actually build it. We try to keep things really simple and practical. In fact, no, we do keep things really simple and practical. And we do that because we have to use our culture code and the work and the systems and the tools that we integrate, most importantly, under pressure. I don't know if you've noticed, but when, you, when the championship um, team gets interviewed, you'll see the reporter shove the microphone in their face and they're just like, all I want to do is be with my mates and, you know, celebrate. Yeah. But a common bit of language you might hear or the question might be, what was the turning point? You know, you were 3-1 down, um, you've snuck in game six or five and you've won, got to three, whatever. And their answer will be, we just went back to the basics. Mm-hmm. We just kept it simple. We just went, well, what are we good at? And we just kept – and so – we talk a fair bit about doing the basic, the, the championship winning teams are just willing to do the basics for longer. Yeah. So one of those misconceptions is that because we celebrate the great results, there's a misconception that it has to be married by magnificent feats of effort <laughs> when actually high performance is just doing the real basics for longer. Yeah, absolutely. Taking the time to catch the good and share a win with your teammates to begin a meeting, scheduling reviews, what's working, what can we do better, what are we going to do about it for the next couple of months? Because that's what sport sport teaches us, all about team, and it's all about the team, right? Well, and how you work with a team. That's the one thing I, you know, so many parents don't want their kids involved in sports or schools are taking sports out because this reason that teamwork my heading how to how to work within you know this is your role on this team you don't just have a bunch of people running around on the field doing whatever they think they should yeah. be everybody has a role and together you succeed right yeah. and and they miss that they do i miss it terribly so the first miss the first gap is the understanding that it is about the team and setting up the environment for teamwork to exist because the bigger the company the bigger the silos so half the battle especially with the larger companies we'll work with, is actually getting people in the same room from different divisions and saying, right, what do you love about us? What can we do better? What should we do about it? And just facilitating that very simple review conversation. But honestly, teams, teams, they're not fighting each other, which just makes me just laugh, right? So it's all about the team and the structures by which to set your team up for success would be probably number one. Number two is, and again, I'll draw the comparisons to sport. Sport identifies and develops talent really well. 
So they're structured in a way where there might be a particular coach for sort of maximum seven players, which gives that leader the ability um, and the time and the care required to build a strong relationship with the player and to practice real talk with them and get the most out of them. So that ratio is incredibly important. And often, again, when we pull the curtain back on teams we start with, we might see a leader with 11 direct reports, sometimes 14, 15. Yeah. They're not leading. They're just busy doing stuff, right? right? So the, the player-coach syndrome, we talk about that and how do we manage that, get off the field and coach more. And I think the third one, Harlan, would be, and I've touched on it, is the understanding of how important reviewing performance is and not looking at it just from a scoreboard results perspective, right. but marrying the behaviours with it. The behavior. And that's and essentially wait, what our system does. Don't wait till the end of the year to have that conversation. The minute something happens, come in and talk about it. How can we be better at this? What, what do we need to, what did you learn from that? How did that work for you? What can we do different? Yeah. You know, too many times you hear about the uh, annual review and the annual review, they look at the paperwork and say, you know, back in February, you did this. It's like, why am I just hearing about this now? I could have fixed this, you know? Yeah, that's where it comes down to that. Um, a key question, are we building an environment that allows our players to perform? And have we, we got a system in place that reviews how we're tracking at a cadence that will allow for manoeuvring, right? And we, we nickname them team tune-ups. Okay. So a bit like your car. If you want a Ferrari to continue to run like a Ferrari, every X amount of kilometres, which mm -hmm. for us is usually time, mm -hmm. you know, three or four months, it sometimes, you know, with tech teams we work with, the cadence is even more because the world moves so fast. And then, you, and then in between the team tune-ups, um, you've got your meeting cadence, which keeps the heartbeat going. But when you, the metaphor of the team tune-up is critical. When you take your car in for a tune-up, you can't drive it anymore. It's not drivable. <laughs> yeah. The wheels are getting aligned. It's using a lot more gas than normal. And there's a crack in the back window. Right, for the next half a day, we can't do work. We can't check, you know, probably check email, but on the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to stop driving the car. Yeah. What's working on the car? Okay, the brakes are good. We'll leave them alone. Right, and then what's not working? Well, the windscreen's cracked and it's turning up a lot of gas. All right, we've got to clean this part up. So now we're going to leave that for the next two to three months. See you in three months and we'll review again. Yeah. Sport does that very, very well. Yeah. Game to game to game to game. And even with Aussie rules teams we work with, usually 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. on two days after the game, auditorium and the game is broken down. And we facilitate the conversation with the entire playing group and the coaching staff, breaking down what worked in that play, mm -hmm. what can we do better? And there's no hiding. It's a safe space. We cheer, we cheer and celebrate the great. We challenge the not great in a supporting manner and say, well, what are we going to do better next time? Perfect. Pretty simple. Perfect. Yeah, if only businesses had you know, the tapes they could review yeah. after, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I tell my clients, you have your guys go out and do a certain project, come back and review, have a, a after project, you know, and, uh, 
We used to call them a postmortem, but yeah, you want to do an after-action review. How did it work? What did you learn? What could you do differently? How could we save money next time? You know, whatever it happens to be. If you keep that in, yeah. And we do that a lot with our facilitation. If we're in a team, facilitation can be quite a lonely business, but one of the things we pride ourselves on at PBD is being a team. A lot of consultancies are set up. I don't actually know many others that that actually function like a team, right? Our premise was, well, if we're going to be the team dynamics experts, then we need to be a team, right? What a a concept. (laughs) Yeah, what a concept. So instead of having our curriculum and you can become a facilitator and you go run your own book of business and that in itself is challenging because while you're consulting, you're not so. So we have a marketing team, we have all the pieces of the the car, but we'll often facilitate in in conjunction with each other. soon as we jump off the Zoom or we jump in the car to drive back to the office or whatever it might be if it's in person, the first thing we do, what worked? What can we do better? What might we do different next time? That story you told about the car tune-up was the most succinct you've ever done, Matt, Carly. I reckon that exercise bombed a bit. I don't think it was the right one that they needed, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon where it got a bit sort of died. But I thought you'd really be able to pick it up and get rid of it quickly. So that was great. I reckon we get rid of that exercise. What do you reckon? And and then it takes five to six minutes and becomes just a continuous habit. So you're constantly catching the good, challenging the not great, and making just tweaks. And it's wonderful. Awesome. Very cool. So the talk about courage. Yeah. Um, anytime somebody walks away from the comfort zone of a nine to five job. Yeah, it takes some courage, right? You have to have the courage to to do that, to step out on your own, where you don't have that safety net. Yeah, know, working within another <laughs> company and stuff. Where did you find the courage to decide you were gonna, first of all, move halfway around the world and start a business? I don't know if it's courage, mate. I think it might have been stupidity at the early stages. I think there's a bit of stupidity in every entrepreneur, a little bit. Um, especially when I sometimes laugh and think about. You know, 2003, I think I was 23 or 24. And I've gone to Canada where everyone thinks that Aussie rules football is a crazy sport. Um, they had a Skydome match here in the 80s. And the Skydome's covered in AstroTurf, right? And when the players back then, it was usually after the season, they were semi-pro, so they'd, you know, come over for a party. And every time that our professional players would come over, they just did not put on a showcase of our sport. They punched each other up. There's blood everywhere. And it just was the worst advertisement for this wonderful sport that is a complete religion in our country, right? It's like hockey for Canadians and football for American baseball. And so I've got this idea. I'll go to schools and teach. And so I'm selling me out of physical education teachers. By the way, I don't have any money. And I'm trying to sell them a sport they think is crazy and unsafe, like ridiculousness. But it, and it kind of worked, right? So um, where did I get it from? I think my mum and dad were really open um, to um, having a go. I think growing up in the country where I did, you sort of had a go. That was kind of your only option. We weren't by any means poor and all that sort of stuff. But <clears throat> if you wanted to get anywhere, well, you probably walked three kilometres, you know? <laughs> So, yes, there is courage, and I think that um, 
in my darkest days in 211 before working with Jared and just being so confused um, and an inability to have that honest chat, um, which takes courage. Um, I just, and now, now that I'm actually able to work with teams, I've realised you don't have to go, you don't have to hit rock bottom like that. And it can be a much more, and I wouldn't change it per se, but you can set up things that actually enables courage to exist, which is a bit of a funny thing, but yeah. Um, and it does, it keeps coming back to this because emotional and physical pain to the brain is computed the same, right? So as leaders, to have the courage to set up an environment that really listens to your team and actually intentionally doesn't work, like stops work to review, these are counterintuitive things. Absolutely, yeah. For the hands-on bricks and mortar pound the pavement entrepreneur that actually got to where they are by doing things and now the courage of leadership is to stop doing mm -hmm. and empower and trust others to do it, that takes courage. Sure it does. Yeah. And, and, and to be yeah. able to not, to not to direct their effort, give them the goals. This is a result yeah. we're after. Let them try and then coach them. Yeah. You know, that was good. It could be better. Let's try this next time. Or yeah. here's what I'd rather see or something. Yeah, I had a, a prior to you know sort of working with Jez and sort of understanding this better and then living it. You got to live it, right? Leadership's not a theoretical thing, and culture's right. not a thing you learn; it's a thing you do. Yeah. Um, I had this opinion that leadership was was problem solving, and when things didn't work, you know, it was my job to fix it. But the other thing was, and maybe this was because we were working with kids and that if that breaks, it's going to end the whole business. That's just not, those three things just aren't true. They're, in fact, they're the opposite. I've learned that leadership is more about role modelling and problem empowering mm -hmm. than solving. Um, nothing's really going to end your business, right? <laughs> you know? yeah. So if it breaks, wicked. We'll learn not to do that again. Yeah. Um, and so that that courage of and that's why what do you reckon? And these bloody behaviors and this extraordinary impact became so powerful for us sure. back in the day. But I remember a lot of times a team member would come and say, Dragon, I reckon we can do this better. And I would like to, I think this exercise can be better. And I'd like to try this. And they and then my question back would be, what, what do you reckon? And they go, well, I, I think it will work. And I said, well, have a, go, have a go. And then we'll see you at next week's review and let us know how it went. And some of them bombed, yeah. fixed it up, and some of them became the cornerstone of the program. So I, I remember saying to my now wife back then, it got to a point in the business where it was like watching this awesome soap opera <laughs> you didn't know what twist and turn was going to happen and, and where it was going to go but at the same time i owned it <laughs> yeah. like i was the owner but was really doing little to nothing other than just asking questions leaning into what do you reckon and then when someone did something great just making them feel unreal 
And then having that, it was a learned skill. God, it's a learned skill. Yeah. Um, and it didn't work, just saying, well, what are we doing next time? Um, and that's I love. That's why I love this work because when you can help those leaders that are stuck in the maze, mm-hmm. get them out of the maze into the helicopter, still have the rope to go down and back up again when required, but the courage to get into the helicopter, mm-hmm. that's um, it's the joy. It's an absolute buzz, and Absolutely. I would I wouldn't change it for the world. Absolutely, yeah. But like you said earlier, getting them off the field, you, you know, yeah. you can't you can't coach effectively if you're hands on down in it. You're right. You have to be back observing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, how many folks do you have working for you in PPD? We have a small team. Um, we have four co-owners and we have another six team members, but we also bring in, um, we're starting to train up more facilitators. Nice. We're the oldest startup going around. So, <laughs> you know, Jared and Ruzi have been in the pro sports world and corporate space um, for 30, 60 years combined. So what they haven't seen probably hasn't happened. Wazza <laughs> yeah. uh, and myself, are, we're in the, our young 40s. Um, we've both run our own businesses separately. Wazza was a um, participant under my tutelage, as I was under Jared's. Um, Ruzi comes from pro sporting as one of Australia's greatest ever sports you know, players turned coaches, which is quite mm-hmm. rare. The great players don't often become the great coaches, but Ruzi's the anomaly there. And then, so we've got all this experience and then we built the company together in sort of, I think, 218. Hmm. And now we've brought wonderful Carly Leach, who's our COO and a, and a great little team of facilitators and consultants. Um, and it's really going great. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable work and it's most enjoyable because we're, a, we're an actual team ourselves, Excellent. which is really cool. Very cool. So if I was to bump into any one of these folks and ask them about you and your leadership style, <laughs> what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Uh, energetic, an energetic leader. Um, you hide it well. Uh, pardon? <laughs> you, you hide it very well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, energetic and, and positive. Um, definitely, definitely passionate for the work. Um, I'd like to say that they, they say that I'm committed. Um, and also very people centric, um, which I think you have to be. Um, and I'd like to think that they're saying that I'm getting better at, um, being that really objective, uh, sounding board for our, for our clients, because from our perspective, we're taking teams through the process. And essentially, we're role modeling what we want those leaders to role model to their teams. So um, I'd like for them to call me empowering, um, which when I first started this, I probably got into the weeds too much because I wanted to have an extraordinary impact on them. But I've, again, as I've got older and better at this, I've learned that we build the framework and help them implement the systems and we're there the way that they need to be for their teams, which is really cool. Nice. Very cool. So what's next for you? What's next? Two, two or three big things. Well, three, three big things. Um, we're building a tech platform that supports our consultancy, nice. which is great because we're not 
a tech company trying to be a consultancy service where first the service building the tech, which is proving to be very impactful because there's no wasted crap. You know, I look at Salesforce, we use it, love it, best in the business. There's so much stuff in there that's just not. Mm -hmm. So keep it simple and practical. Loving the building of our tech and the impact that it's having on the team's ability to run their own performance by design system. Number two, working diligently to get a TED talk this year. I think our message is time to share to the North American market. We've got a pretty prominent name in Australia, as you can imagine, because of Jared and Ruzi. So that's on the, that's the target. But then the third target is landing a big professional sports team here in North America. Most of our work in pro sports been in Australia and Europe. Um, We've had some great conversations with the Blue Jays, the Raptors, and all the Toronto professional teams. So hopefully in 2022, we secure one or more pro sports teams. So then our stories aren't just from Australia, (laughs) but they're actually live here in in Toronto and and throughout North America. So North American expansion is our big thing underlying it all, but through through the tech platform, the TED Talk and the pro sports, that's what, that's where we're sort of, that's where I'm pretty laser focused on. Very cool. Well, then we'll have to check back in. And see how absolutely, going. mate. It's been very cool. This has been great. Yeah, no, this has been a lot of fun. So if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about performance by design, how can they do that? What's your website? Yeah, website is performancebydesign.co. Um, I'm Emil at performancebydesign.co. Um, not an A at the start, but an E, E for elephant. Yep. Um, that's one of the curses of having an Aussie accent. My name gets completely mashed up all the time. Um, we've, we've got our LinkedIn page um, and we also got a personal LinkedIn page. But, um, yeah, that's the best way to get through it. We're not hugely all over social media. We do a, a, a usually a three times a month we do a live culture couch episode where nice. whoever's available on our team, we get together, we get a question from our community and we just rumble on it. It's fantastic. And I do a monthly culture corner episode where I get a, a, a network of mine here in Toronto. Mark Bowden was on recently, a behavioural expert. It's fantastic. I've got Bruce Bowser, um, the, one of the um, presidents of AMJ Campbell. On the, and he's going to speak specifically in the near future about three years before COVID, he took his Toronto Mississauga office remote and did it three years before. It was wow. brilliant. So I'm really looking forward to that. Nice. But yeah, our website's the easiest way to get through to us as well as my, my email address, obviously. Very cool. Excellent. All right. I will have all those links in the show notes. Fantastic. So people can yep. get in touch with you. And uh, again, thanks so much for taking time out. Appreciate Colin, it. Fantastic, mate. And you yeah, really appreciate the courage to lead our podcast. So thanks again, mate. Thanks. Absolutely. All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking notes. A lot of good information here. Definitely check out the website, performancebydesign.co. Um, yeah. And share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues right? And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.